Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Three times in homes a month, and then we meet once a, a week, uh, or once a month uh, uh, all together. But anyway, I've been going through Genesis, and we've been going through the story of Joseph. Uh, you all familiar with the story of Joseph, right? You've got some basic understanding. Joseph, uh, his brothers were jealous of him because of his coat, colored coat, and he had the dreams about how his brothers and his father would bow down to him, and the brothers got jealous of him, sold him into slavery to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites then sold him into slavery in Egypt, and while he was in Egypt, he became uh, a servant in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar, uh, you know, put him over all the, uh, uh, the household. Uh, his Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of, of assaulting her, and so then Joseph gets sold uh, or gets put in prison, and while he's in prison, God blesses him, and God enables him to uh, uh, to lead all the prisoners, and the, and the prison guard just left everything to Joseph's hands, and there were, there were two prisoners in, Joseph, in the prison, one a baker, one a, uh, the cupbearer of Pharaoh, and they both have dreams. They didn't know what's going to happen uh, or who ought to interpret them. They go to Joseph. Joseph interprets the dreams, uh, and... Um, uh, the cupbearer and, and the baker get let out of prison. Uh, the, uh, the baker has his head chopped off, so obviously he couldn't remember about Joseph. Uh, and so the cupbearer gets restored to his place of honor, and about two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh doesn't understand the dream, and, uh, and so the cupbearer says, Oh, I remember Joseph. Joseph comes to Pharaoh, tells Pharaoh the interpretation of the dream, uh, Pharaoh, uh, the point of the dream is that there are going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine and, and so forth in the land of Egypt. And uh, Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, well, who should we have over all the land to take care of all this? And Pharaoh says, I know who, Joseph, you're responsible for taking care of the whole thing while we have this, this issue. Uh, because of the famine, uh, during the time of famine, uh, uh, um, Jacob and his sons are in, in, in Palestine, land of Canaan, and they send the sons down to get food and wheat and Pharaoh uh, so they can feed their family. And, and the rest of the story is sooner or later, everybody is down there. The brothers are there, but the brothers don't know that the second command is actually Joseph until Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. That's a pretty fast summary, by the way, of five chapters of scripture. Not as interesting, I'll have to say, but it kind of gives you this, the background of the story. Uh, and so the passage we're going to read this morning deals with Joseph revealing himself to his brothers and what he says to his brothers. And what we're going to look at, and the key verse, by the way, the key verse is uh, verse 7 of chapter 45. In fact, it's really the key verse of the whole Joseph story. Uh, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So that's, that's the key verse of the whole Joseph narrative, uh, verse 7. Um, and 
the whole Joseph narrative, in fact, the whole book of Genesis, the whole book of the Old Testament, is that God has a purpose for his people and he sovereignly directs the course of events so that his kingdom would ultimately be established, that his purpose for history would be fulfilled. And so we're going to talk about this morning the providence of God. Now that's a heady subject. That's pretty, that's pretty theologically, you know, uh, as they say, weighty. Okay? And when we talk about the providence of God, we talk about three things when we regard to providence. I think I have them on your outline. That is to say that God preserves by his word all of the creation that he created. In other words, God doesn't just create and then go off but God actually sustains and upholds everything by the power of the word. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that he, that is the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he, the Son, upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, you know, uh, all of us are, all the molecules, all the atoms, all of creation is held together by the power of his word. If he should choose to say, Nothing there, it would be gone in a flash. Okay. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 26 to 28 says that uh, God made from one man every nation and mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Again, that refers to God's government. Okay. But then it goes on to say that they should seek him in the home that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. That is to say, we are sustained, upheld, and, uh, and, and uh, made provision for by God's gracious providential care. Okay, so that is preservation. God preserves all of creation by his word and by his will. Okay, the next two uh, regarding providence are the two that we're going to look at with regard to Joseph's story, but primarily the second one, which is concurrence. Concurrence, which means that God cooperates with the created things in every action, directing them and their properties to cause them to act in the way that they do. Okay, that is to say, God uses the created things in the world and their actions and their distinctive properties to cause them to act the way they do. And that's, that's pretty heady stuff right there. Uh, and look at that specifically in the story of Joseph and see how that works. And then we talk about government, which we looked at from that verse in the book of Acts, where God has allotted times and periods and boundaries for their dwelling place, all the nations. That is, that he governs the world according to his plan and his purpose, and he brings that world and his, according to his purpose for which he has created it. And, uh, and so nothing happens by chance in God's sovereign will. He directs it according to his purpose. Okay, so let's focus a little bit more on concurrence, whereby God causes things to happen uh, in the world and how that all fits together. So the doctrine of concurrence says this. Let, let, and, and this I'll try to go slowly because this is, this is a pretty important. God directs, works through the distinctive properties of each created thing so that these things themselves bring about the results that we see. 
In this way, it is possible to affirm that in one sense, events are 100% caused by God and 100% caused by the creature as well. Wow, that's a, that's a mouthful. That the events that we see today around us are 100% caused by God and 100% caused by the things that are created. In that, we see behind the actions of the world, the, 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 uh, the things that occur around us, what is called the invisible hand of God. We don't see always God's providential work. But God's providential work in his invisible hand is always the primary cause of all that occurs. Okay, that's important to understand. God is sovereignly working in all the things that we see and observe, and he is the primary cause of all that happens. Okay? If he isn't, then God cannot be God. It's the very thing that causes and that defines who God is. That God works 100% as the primary cause of all that occurs. Now, what we see that occurs is really the secondary cause. Human actions are really the secondary cause And he uses the properties of the creation and the creature and those properties to bring about what he primarily seeks to occur. Okay, And we're going to see this really very carefully and very distinctly in the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph is a great example of God working behind the scenes in all the things that occur as the primary cause and how all the things that Joseph experiences is really the secondary cause. And it's all geared toward a purpose and a plan. Now, having said that, it's a mystery. We often think that we are kind of the captain of our own ship, the masters of our own destiny, do we not? And people kind of have that uh, understanding of things. But when we read the scriptures, it is far different. God works in each of us and through each of us to bring about what he desires. Uh, just a few passages of scripture. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's mind plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. A man's mind plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Psalm 139.16, In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Okay? In other words, God knew, knows exactly what's going to happen in our lives at every step of the way. Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it where he wills. In other words, God has absolute sovereignty over his creatures and his creation. Okay, okay. so let's read Genesis chapter 45, verse 4, and we'll see how concurrence, how God works to bring about things according to his will in the everyday, normal things of life, through tragedy, through prosperity, through blessing, through curse, to bring about his purpose. Genesis 45, 4. And this is when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and he's, he wants to get a message across to his brothers about all the things that have occurred. Because his brothers feel pretty 
poorly about what they have done. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler of all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has sent me lord of all Egypt, or has, excuse me, has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have, There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of your brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Okay. So, we're going to see, first of all, how God used the sinful actions of Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers sold Joseph into Egypt. Now, Joseph tells his brothers that they sold him into Egypt. And the brothers did sell him into Egypt. They are responsible for their actions in having sold Joseph into Egypt. And they were distressed and angry with themselves because of what they had done. Now, having said that, in the story, that really is the secondary cause of how Joseph got here in Egypt. The primary cause, as we read the text, is God, God over and over, is talked about as having sent the brother of Joseph to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant of earth. Don't be angry with yourselves, he says, because why? God sent me here. It was not you who sent me, but God. God made me the father to Pharaoh. God made me second in command, and so forth. In other words, yes, Pharaoh put him there in one sense, but it was God who put him there. Pharaoh was only the secondary cause. God was the primary cause. Okay? And so it was not something that human beings did. It was something that God did because he had the purpose of preserving preserving a remnant of Israel in Egypt. Now, why is that important? Well, there's a lot of reasons why that is important, because as you, we don't, without them being in Egypt, we don't get the second book of the Old Testament, which is what? Exodus. Okay? And so the whole, line, the whole story of, of redemption 
hinges on, hinges on all of these things kind of coming into play and coming into place and being uh, brought together. Okay, so here we have an example of God using sinful actions of people to bring about his purpose. God isn't the cause of the sinful actions. Okay, don't, don't think that. God is not the cause of the sinful actions because God doesn't do evil and God doesn't tempt anybody to do evil. These people did what they did out of the free will that God had given them. But God knows how people will choose, and therefore God uses the choices of evil people to bring about the purposes for which he desires. Okay, so understand that. Let's go again to another place, uh, the book of Job. Uh, you know, uh, how many people have read through the book of Job? All right, it's an interesting book. Um, and... Uh, does Job ever know why, by the way, does Job ever know why the things happened to him that happened? Does Job ever know why? No. He does not ever know why what is occurring to him occurs. And that's the thing we have to understand when it comes to the providence of God. Oftentimes, we don't really know why things happen the way they happen. We have to just trust that God has a good purpose for why things happen the way they do. Okay, so the story of Job begins basically, you know, now Job is a righteous man and he's also a rich man. And he has children and so forth. And so in, in chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, and the sons of God here are the angels of heaven, uh, came to present themselves before the Lord, they're probably presenting themselves before the Lord for the very purpose of what? Getting orders. What are we going to do, Lord? What do you want us to do? Because we're here to minister to the people whom you've chosen. And so, you know, what, what do you want us to do? Okay, but along with that, and Satan also came along with them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where you come, he said, asked, and Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it, and the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? No, the sovereignty of God. God has put a hedge around Job. You have blessed the work of his hands. Again, the providence of God. You have blessed the work of his hands. And his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, who is, in this story, the secondary cause? It is who? Satan is the secondary cause. God is the primary cause. Why? Because God gives Satan permission to do what Satan is about ready to do. But what does God do? In his sovereignty, he limits what Satan can do. He puts a limit. You can do this, but you can only go this far. Okay? So, 
God is, in a sense, the one who has blessed Job with all the things that he has. He has put a hedge of protection around Job. In other words, he is the primary cause of Job's prosperity. Now, that doesn't mean that Job didn't have any actions in this coming prosperity. I'm sure he worked night and day to bring about what he had. But the fact is, is that because of God's blessing and God's hedge, God is the primary cause. Now, Satan then is released by God to simply go and test Job to see whether or not Job will curse God or die when put under distress. Okay, so verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the dockings feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Okay, so who is the secondary cause when the Sabaeans come and destroy all the oxen and so forth of Job. It is who? It is Satan and the Sabaeans. Now, it's not like the Sabaeans are out there, you know, uh, you know, thinking about all this stuff. They just naturally do what they naturally desire to do. And Satan, all he has to do is tempt them and put it in their minds to do it, and they naturally do the evil for which they are, in a sense, tended to do. Okay, But it wasn't because, get this, it's not because uh, the Sabaeans, you know, the, the primary cause is not to strike down the servants in the, by the edge of the sword and so forth, what is the real cause? What's the real purpose behind this whole thing? It's not the Sabaeans destroying. It's what? Job, what? Being tested. That's the purpose. Okay? Now, we, if we were to look at that whole situation, we would say, what a horrible tragedy, terrible thing, this, you know, and whatever, and we would not really know what's going behind, on behind the scenes. The same thing is true it says, and while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone escaped you. So there must have been some sort of natural catastrophe. And while they're yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and I made a raid on the, and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped you. And while he was still speaking, there came another. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And we were thinking, what a horrible tragedy, and it is. But God is the primary cause. The secondary cause, the secondary cause are the Chaldeans and the wind. Now this is really gets to be you know, difficult to understand. We just had a tornado in, in the south and, and, uh, and so forth. In Georgia, I think it was it Georgia or Alabama? One of the, Alabama? That's a tragedy. And there were how many people killed? 23, 24 people killed. And, and you think, well, looking at it from a secular point of view, we are saying that, well, you see, these 
things came in concurrence. There was these, this front that comes through, and we look at all the scientific reasons and so forth, and, and it just has happened to be by chance that that thing occurred. No. That's not true at all. God allowed that to occur for whatever reason we don't know, just like in the story of Job. We don't know why that occurred, just as Job didn't know why that occurred, but in God's mind, he has a purpose that is better than what we think. And we just don't know all the reasons behind what has occurred. But God is always the primary cause of everything that occurs in the world. That is by his very nature what gives him the being of called God. Nothing happens by chance in God's created order. Okay. The same thing goes with the situation with the crucifixion of Jesus. It didn't happen by chance. God caused that to happen, but he did so in concurrence with evil men. In Acts chapter 1, verse 22, Men of Israel, Peter says, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you God with, by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In other words, who is the primary cause of the crucifixion of Jesus? It's not the Pharisees, the Jews, and the Romans. It is God himself. He was delivered up according to what? The definite plan and knowledge of God. But Peter says to the crowd, you crucified him. They have responsibility for doing so. In fact, Judas... You know, the primary cause of Judas's uh, portrayal is God himself. But Judas bears the guilt for what he did. Okay, so you have to understand that. When Jesus is before Pilate, Pilate says to Jesus, don't you know that I have power to set you free? And what does Jesus tell him? You have no power at all except it been granted to you by God. In other words, Pilate is the secondary cause. God is the primary cause. Nothing happens in all of creation, whether evil or good, without God sovereignly overseeing and directing the entire activity of man and creation toward his purpose. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that God is the, is the origin of evil. It just simply means that he uses evil for his purposes. Okay. Now that is true not only for evil, but that is also true for good. You know what often happens? We blame God when the evil occurs, and too often we pat ourselves on the back when we allow the good to occur. Okay? We somehow think that God isn't sovereignly acting also behind the good. Well, Philippians 2, 12, 13 says... Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out for your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I like this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Even the good things that occur 
are a result of God's willing and working in us for his good pleasure. So whenever we do something good, understand something, we are but the secondary cause, and God is the primary cause. We are but the secondary cause, God is the primary cause. Okay? We are only doing what comes naturally to God. Certainly not naturally to us. So let's look at how God uses the good in Genesis to bring about his purposes. So turn to Genesis chapter 39, verses 2 and 4. The Lord was with, okay, so Joseph was being blessed in Potiphar's house. The Lord was what? With Joseph. Why is Joseph doing so well in Potiphar's house? Because the Lord was what? With Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused Primary cause, the Lord caused all that he did, secondary cause, to succeed in his hands. So why was Joseph so successful in Potiphar's house? Because the Lord was with him and caused, primary cause, all that Joseph did, secondary cause, to prosper and be successful. Okay, Genesis 39, 21 to 23. But the Lord, while I was in prison, and Joseph was in prison, it says, but the Lord was, again, was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him, primary cause, favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Secondary cause, the keeper of the prison. The primary cause is God. The secondary cause is the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Prisoner, the keeper of the prison is simply the secondary cause, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because, why? The primary cause, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Get that? God is the primary cause. Now, it doesn't mean that Joseph was inactive in all that, but the fact is that the Lord was the primary cause and Joseph was a secondary cause. Okay. So, let's just stop there and move on to the next point. The whole purpose of all this, as we see, is that God directs all things in his world to advance his cause of establishing his kingdom. And it may be very incidental things in how he does that, but it is the ripple effect. You know what the ripple effect is? You throw a stone in the river or in the lake, and it ripples out, right? And when we read the story of Joseph, it's the ripple effect. Joseph is one cog in the salvation history that God had planned before the beginning of time. Because without Joseph, you don't get what? You don't get the exodus. Without the exodus, you don't get Palestine, without the land of Israel and the multiplication of Israel. Without Israel, you don't get... King David. Without King David, you don't get the Savior. Without the Savior, you don't get the, end, the salvation of the cross and the resurrection and the ultimate end of all things. And so Joseph is just one ripple 
in the salvation plan of God. And that is how we have to see ourselves as well. That what we do has a ripple effect. And that ripple effect, God brings about his purpose. Okay? Great story. Evangelist preaches on, at a revival. One person comes to faith at that meeting. And that one person, now I can just imagine what that one guy was thinking, that evangelist, probably preaching to 100 people, but one person only comes forward. And that one person is Billy Graham. The ripple effect. Boom. You see. And we have to see ourselves in that light. That what we do has a ripple effect. So unless Israel goes to Egypt, there is no exodus. And if there is no exodus, we have no law, and we have no Israel, and we have no law in Israel, we have no salvation. The ripple effect. Okay. Now we need to understand then that everything that happens in this world that we live in does not come about by chance. God is providentially governing everything in this world to bring about the salvation of his world. And that might affect individuals, it might affect nations, but everything that we have. You know, we have this idea, you know, you look at the world around us and you say, this world is out of control. Wrong. This world is not out of control. God is providentially bringing everything about, you know, the Democrats are wondering, why did Trump get elected? Because God wanted him to get elected. You may not like him, I don't care, but God wanted him to get elected, and God is using whatever he uses to bring about his purposes. And you're thinking, well, those crazy liberals, why did they get elected? Because God is there bringing about his purpose, and we don't know all that is happening behind the scenes. It's the invisible hand of God. But don't ever think that everything is out of God's control because everything is absolutely under his control. That's the providence of God. And if we don't understand that for our own lives, we can act in arrogance and unbelief. We can act in arrogance and unbelief. About, almost about seven weeks ago, uh, I felt sick on a weekend. I thought I had the flu. Uh, Got over it just later on. Monday morning, I felt better. About 1 o'clock on Monday afternoon, I had the most excruciating pain in my gut I have ever felt in all my born days. I mean, I literally thought I was going to die. I mean, it was awful. Okay. I didn't know what to do. I thought, call the ambulance, whatever. So I called my wife. She was playing pickleball at the YMCA. She never takes her phone in with her, hardly. But three rings, and she answers. And I'm going, Twyla, you got to come home and take me to the hospital. And she says, but I'm right in the middle of the game. I said, forget the game. Come home, man. you got to come home and take me to the hospital. I am in terrible agony. And so she gets, gets home, and she says, well, can I shower real quick? I says, yeah, we're okay. you know, it's feeling a little bit better. And so she takes me to the hospital, and I'm still feeling every bump I can feel, you know. And uh, 
I get to the hospital, and the attendant, I mean, I got in really quite quickly, you know, sometimes you don't, but I got in, the guy was there, and he says, ah, you know what, appendicitis, appendicitis. And I said, yeah, it's kind of, well, okay. But we got to take a CAT scan, took a CAT scan, blah, 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 blah. And the guy said, now nah, we're going to have to call the surgeon and uh, make sure that, you know, he comes over because I'm pretty sure there's appendicitis, sure it, it was. And it was, it, it was a wonderful thing because the surgery team had just gotten done with another surgery. So I didn't have to wait. As soon as they knew everything, boom, I was in surgery within about 15 minutes. And it's a good thing because my appendix ruptured. Okay. And so when they went in, the surgeon said, man, am I glad that we got in when we did because it's a good thing because you could have had septus really fast. You know? And boy, was I grateful. Now, I have no idea why God chose for me to have an appendicitis on that Monday at that point. All I know is that's what he allowed. And I am grateful for the providence of God that my wife had her cell phone with her she could call, I could call, and I'm grateful in the providence of God that when I got there, that the surgeons were right there in the hospital so that they could do the, immediately do the surgery. Okay? That's the providence of God. You know? Why I had to have an appendicitis, I have no idea. Turn with me to James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. James chapter 4. And I'm going to close with this. James 4.13, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. I mean, he's just a good business guy. You know, he's just making plans. He's making his business plan for the year or the month or whatever the week. He's just saying, this is what I got to do this week. He's got a list. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And he's true. <laughs> Sunday, I did not know on Monday that I would be in the hospital having an operation. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. For you, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In other words, you don't have a lot of power. Mists don't have a lot of power, except maybe make things a little bit fuzzy. But a mist doesn't have a lot of energy. Okay, Not much power, not a much ability. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, Ah, the providence of God. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. In other words, when we make a choice and when we make a decision, we have to understand that that decision falls under the providence of God. Proverbs 69, a man plans, but the Lord directs his steps. A man plans, but the Lord directs his steps. All such boasting, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. In other words, when we make decisions without submitting to the providence of God, we are acting in arrogance. We are acting in arrogance. 
All such boasting is evil. <coughs> All such boasting is evil. Now, verse 17 comes. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about living our life as though the providence of God does not exist, and the Bible says that is sin. That is sin. To live in such arrogance and boasting that we plan this and that and don't live under the providential understanding that God governs our lives and moves it however he desires and wills. The Lord, uh, man makes plans, but God directs his steps. Unless we don't acknowledge that, and we boast that somehow we are the captain of our own ship, the master of our own destiny, we are sinning when we do that. We are sinning. Whoever knows what is right to do, and what's the right thing to do? If the Lord wills, I'll do this. That's the right thing to do. If we don't put that caveat into our understanding of things, we're sinning. Because we are boasting, and we're arrogant, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do, which is if the Lord wills and fails to do it, that is sin. And so we need, the providence of God, what I'm trying to say to you, is very practical. It's not just a theological idea, but it's very practical for our everyday life. Our everyday life is under the providential care of God. Yes, we make decisions. We are the secondary cause of everything that happens. But understand that all of the decisions that we make falls under the providential governance of God. And he is the primary cause. And we are but a ripple in the purposes of God. We are the stone that goes in. We are, every time we make a decision, it's a stone that goes into the lake of God, and that ripple effect goes out. And how we don't, why, and all, and here's the thing. The great test of faith for Job, like Job, was not to understand what was happening to Job, but was to understand what? That God is God and we are not, and we are simply here to trust in God's providential care. That is what we are to do. Providence means that what? All things work together for the good of those who love him. And we live under that providential care, and everything that we do, and we accept the things that come to us, recognizing that it is not happening by accident, but it's happening because of God's providence. Okay. Lots of things to chew on. It's a mystery. But it is the mystery that we are called to in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we don't always understand why you do what you do. We don't always understand our place in that providence. But yet, Lord, we can only trust, as your scriptures have said, that you are the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and that you govern all things according to your purpose, whether evil or good that nothing happens without your permission and providential governance. Lord, help us to believe that, to trust in that, and to live in light of that. Lord, help us to repent when we think differently. And Lord, help us to rest 
that in your goodness and in your grace, all things work together for the good of those who love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.